Welcome along to part two of this Tech Talk cybersecurity special. I'm Jess Kelly and over the next hour we're going to meet the teams working to tackle cyber threats in Ireland every single day. On part one of this series, we heard from Richard Brown, the director of the National Cybersecurity Centre and Detective Superintendent Pat Ryan, who's the head of the Garda National Cybercrime Bureau. Today, we'll hear from those who worked on the response to the HSE ransomware attack and get an insight into the skills needed to work in this sector. We're going to start with Detective Sergeant Paul Johnstone, who's a cyber safety officer at the Garda National Cybercrime Bureau. And he's going to talk us through what exactly his job entails. There are a number of sections within the Bureau. The the two primary roles of the Bureau are cyber forensics and cyber investigations. So that could be where a ransomware attack against a company occurs or where you're examining computers in a murder or a manslaughter or a missing person or something like that. And, And my role is one of those within the Bureau itself. So it's cyber safety. And what we do is we gather the information that are collected from the investigations or the forensic examinations or our partners, such as the NCSC. And we then produce information that goes out on social media, to the print media, to events that we take part in. The purpose of those is to advise the public on the risks that we're seeing out there and how they can protect themselves, the steps they need to take. Because this is a a collaborative issue between both ourselves, the likes of the NCSC, industry, and largely the public, because they're the ones that are the most at risk. What are the the skills and what, what's the lifelong learning that has to go on? Because we know the technology is developing. You blink your eye and there's something else out there. So what are the skills and the, and the learnings that you kind of have to have to, to do the job that you do? I suppose the first thing is you have to have an inquisitive mind. You have to be nosy. Mm-hmm. That's a typical guard element. You know, a lot of people think, oh, here comes the guards now. They're stuck in the middle of all of our information. That's what we do, basically. Mm-hmm. But it's in everybody's interest that we do that. So uh, that's a, an inherent skill that somebody has themselves. The next then after that is that it's the skills that you pick up as a member of a Gardaí So the investigative skills to be able to go out and, and look for the evidence that you need to prove a case or to support the person that's making the complaint in the first place. And, and they're learned on the job on a daily basis. You have to have an interest in computers. You have to be willing to self-learn, to research, to pull all that information together from a variety of sources, often very, very quickly, because you're, you're dealing with a, an intense situation with something that's occurring in the types of, of cyber crime elements that we look at instantly over the internet. And you have to be able to pull out information, but also to be put it across in a simple way that somebody can understand. There's no point in me sitting there talking about bits and bytes, mm-hmm. malware, unallocated clusters, because somebody will sit there and they wouldn't have a clue what I'm talking about. And they'll switch off in a couple of minutes. And when you've lost your inter- your audience, you're wasting your time. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to put that in a, in a very understandable manner. And then you have to have an interest in learning and, and upskilling yourself and, and training and be able to communicate very, very easily. All of those together. And some of them are learned. Some of them are stuff that you have as an individual. You mentioned there about the innate guard ability to investigate. Does investigation techniques, do investigation techniques alter when you are doing cybercrime versus a crime on the street? You know, do you need to do the methods that were there for years and years and years 
easily translate into the digital world? They do, because uh, at the end of the day, like most cyber crimes are just offline crimes. They just happen to occur over a computer. Mm. Um, They're just facilitated by a computer, whether it's an attack against a system. You could equate that to your old criminal damage offences, whether it's an online phishing scam. You could equate that to an old fraud. They're all very, very similar. So the investigative skills are very similar. The only thing that you really need to consider is that when you're looking for the evidence, a lot of it is available online. So you have to be talking to service providers like Microsoft or Facebook. You have to be pulling information from emails or social media profiles. You have to be looking at the computer itself to pull that data together. And and that data is volatile. It's very easily damaged. So that's the main awareness as far as the investigative skills are concerned. But it's no different. So that's why when we look for people to come into the actual bureau, we will look for somebody who has that background, who has been a guard, a member on the ground, dealing with all of those types of crimes for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And they, they've honed those skills. They have that personal learning and they can bring that to the work that they do within the Bureau. It also, like sometimes people think, you know, when you're in the Cyber Forensics Bureau, you're, you're examining a computer and you pull the information out, you present it at a package and somebody else goes off and does mm-hmm. it. That's not, it's not as simple as that. You have to be able to look at it in the round and say, well, actually, maybe I need to look at this little element or maybe there might be something more over here or maybe this data is telling me something different so that you can go off on those tangents if you need to because there could be a victim in the middle of it. There could be evidence of a completely different crime. And if you're too focused or you don't have that skill set, you'll miss that. I want to talk about the victim because although we're talking about um, cybersecurity and we're talking about ransomware attacks quite a bit today, there are other types of cyber crime. Mm. Um, there's been a lot of talk here in Ireland in recent years about um, sexual image uh, based abuse. Mm. And obviously, there's a victim there. Um, we know about Coco's Law, we know about Nicole Fox, we know about her family and the work her mother is doing. When you are investigating those types of cyber crimes, obviously it's very delicate and it's not a banging the table, tell me who done it type thing. The soft skills matter, I'm sure, just as much as your digital investigative skills. Yeah, your, your, your soft skills apply to your victim, number one, and to your offender, number two. You have to treat everybody with dignity. You have to treat everybody with respect. You have to be balanced in your approach as far as that's concerned. And when you have a sensitive investigation where the victim is either vulnerable or the activity that they've been subjected to makes them vulnerable, then you have to respect that. A large portion of the work that we do would be around the area of child sexual exploitation material. So what would be defined as child pornography in the legislation. You have to be cognizant of the fact that that victim, you're potentially going to be meeting them in the worst time of their life. You're also going to be sitting across from an offender who is also in the worst time of their life. And you have to approach that delicately. And that's a skill that you build up through your work, but it's also an inherent quality that you have to be able to treat them equally with respect and also to respect their rights. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We know that shows like Line of Duty are super popular and every season there's somebody who's trying to either, you know, chew a SIM card or wipe a hard drive or anything like that. There's this mantra that, you know, what goes online stays online. How difficult or easy is it to date or recover? and to track down the information that you need to solve some of these crimes? 
the work that we do, uh, the primary work we do, as I said, or one of the primary works we do is the cyber forensics element. So we would examine a computer that's either seized or surrendered to us in a criminal investigation. And we use particular processes, software, skills to pull that information out so that the original is not interfered with in any way. That's not a relatively simple, but it's a an understandable and an easy enough process if you know what you're doing. We also work with the service providers, so the online media providers like Facebook, email, etc., to get information from them on foot of a court order or a warrant. And that's pulled back in the investigations as well. And then there are other sources of information available to you. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. But it's a process that there are set parameters for following to make sure. And the, and the primary aim is that there's no interference with the data so that if it arrives in court, it stands up to scrutiny. And we're not being accused of either manufacturing it, interfering with it or whatever. And did the and this could be a stupid question, but are, are the same rules in place in terms of obtaining digital evidence as would be the case for physical evidence in that you can't just come into my home and take something because you feel like it you know you do have to have a reason and all that does that does that apply if someone has a public facebook page or whatever it might be absolutely yeah yeah like as i said earlier on your our primary control as far as the work that we do is an individual's personal rights whether they are the victim or the suspect. Mm. And all of that is governed by due process. And the due process that we must follow is that if we are trying to take possession of personal information belonging to an individual, whether it's their property or their online property, we have to have, first of all, a reason for it. Secondly, it has to be proportionate. And thirdly, it has to be authorised. And that's by a warrant or a court order. So it's exactly the same whether it's offline or online. We will look for our orders depending on the actual offence that's involved and we'll get it legitimately. Otherwise, it's not going to stand up and strictly in court. Mm. One of the things that we've spoken about um, already today is how some of the attacks and the online abuses that happen don't necessarily come from inside Ireland. They can come from individuals or groups or bodies uh, around the world how difficult is that like the analogy is sometimes given that you know it's like trying to catch smoke trying to catch the people behind this is that the reality uh, not really like yeah cybercrime is cross-border yes it can happen in an incident if I want to attack a computer in Ireland and I'm based somewhere else all I need is an internet connection a computer and the intention to do it. Mm -hmm. And I can do it by just clicking a mouse at the end of the day. And we have to be able to react in a similar way. And we do that by cooperating with our agencies, with our partners, with the National Cybersecurity Centre and others here, with the likes of Europol and Interpol, with the various law enforcement and corporate bodies that exist around Europe. And all of those enable us to collaboratively pull the information together that we need so that we are able to reach across the same border in exactly the same way that your cyber criminal is able to do it. There are processes in place. We move slower than your cyber criminal does because we have to follow the proper procedures. Mm -hmm. That includes seizing the evidence or obtaining it from outside of the jurisdiction. But the processes are basically exactly the same. There's been a lot of talk about collaboration and how important it is between yourselves and the National Cybersecurity Centre, between yourselves and bodies like Interpol. Um, 
in terms of learning from that collaboration, how beneficial is that? Because I'm sure you might hear of trends that are starting to emerge here or that have emerged here and you can gain learning so that you're a step ahead rather than playing catch up. There are, there are three benefits that arise from working together with, with various partners around the world or within the country as well at the same time. The first is the context that you make the individuals that you can reach out to if you need information or you need support or you need advice and what they have seen and what they have learned and the processes that they have used to work towards an end goal in their investigations. The second is the training that you get from it and that you're informed by it. And the third is to be able to use all of that to inform your customers at the end of the day, which are the public and our corporate entity, and also to to give them a sense of personal responsibility. Because as I said at the beginning, it's not just about us and industry and academia and law enforcement. The public has to sit in the middle of that. The, in, the, the corporate sector has to sit in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. And we all have to work together. So it's a, it's a complete package as far as collaboration is concerned. And it's very important, yeah. And a big part of the collaboration is between Angarnishikon as a whole and the public and informing the public. Mm. And obviously we're talking because of um, Cybersecurity Month. There's a lot of awareness going on. Tell me about the importance of these front-facing campaigns and what's planned for the Cybersecurity Month. They're essential. These campaigns are essential at the end of the day to get the message across. Cyber is not new but it's more prevalent now than it ever was because we're spending more time at home. The public workers, whoever it happens to be, are now working from the home office environment or a blended environment. Mm-hmm. And, and that means that we're prone at times to mix our work and our business and to mix the devices and to mix the activity. And that with it brings inherent risks. So it's essential we get that message across, but get it across in a joined up approach so we use the likes of this kind of event today, which is the European Cybersecurity Month. We use the likes of the webinars that are going to take place with our partners, the roadshows that will also take place with ISME and IBEC, the broadcasts such as your own that will take place that will also inform the listeners on the radio, uh, media print, media radio, social media, and the various presentations that we do in the corporate sector and with our crime prevention officers throughout the country in Angarda Siakana. So all of that is a complete package to get the message across and it's essential we do that. My final question is, um, it can be a bit scary to have these conversations or to hear these conversations because we're all being encouraged to use digital devices and do our banking online and go paperless, which is great when it works. But when you're targeted by something, you think, oh, geez, am I a fool now for doing this? Um, what is the advice to the individual listening to this now who may be a bit apprehensive? Maybe they're not digital uh, natives. Maybe they're not that savvy when it comes to technology. There are things that people can do to keep safe online, isn't there? There are things that people can do. Like People shouldn't be afraid to use technology. It's there for their benefit. There are massive benefits from it. There are also potential risks. But the benefits largely outweigh the risks. And the risks can be mitigated by just a few simple precautions. Say, for example, if you get an email in, you don't know who it's from. Ignore it. If you get an email in that has a link in it, hover over the link to see does it go where it says it's actually going. Or just phone the company or the bank or the revenue or whoever it happens to be that the email is supposed to be coming from. If if you get a friend request from somebody you don't know, 
ignore it or make sure that they're either recommended or you do a little bit of research to find out who they are. If you get an offer of a prize, did you buy a ticket? If you didn't buy a ticket, you didn't win the prize at the end of the day. If you see something that looks too good to be true, research it online, research the profile online, research the company name online. Google is your friend in most of these cases and just have a quick look around. Take the simple precautions. And it's all about informing yourself about the types of risks that are out there. If you're informed, you're prepared. If you're prepared, you can prevent. Detective Sergeant Paul Johnstone there of the Garda National Cybercrime Bureau, which is one of the two big bodies working on cyber threats here in Ireland. The other is the National Cyber Security Centre. Joseph Stevens is the head of engagement at the NCSC, who told me about his path to the role he has today. I've always been interested in technology since a, a really young age, uh, but I was also very interested in shooting guns and blowing things up. So I ended up joining the Defence Forces uh, straight out of school. And I worked there for a number of years and I took a different career path, but but eventually I ended up winding back into technology. Uh, I was working in the Army Ranger Wing for a while and I set up a, a capability for them. The, sorry, the Army Ranger Wing is the, the special forces of the Irish Defence Forces. And I set up a, a capability for them called Technical Exploitation Operations, which is basically like battlefield forensics. So you've probably heard from my colleagues today about taking digital images from phones and computers. I brought a kind of capability where you could do that on a battlefield because you need to do it really quickly and in you know harsh conditions. Uh, and as part of my training, I went to UCD and, and, con- uh, and completed a course in cybercrime uh, investigation and digital forensics. And um, after that, I, I, I kind of got the, the graw for cybersecurity and I ended up moving to the National Cybersecurity Centre to, to continue my work there. So you're a member of the engagement team. What exactly does the engagement team do? Yeah, so I lead the engagement team and, you know, we've, we've a number of functions, uh, but, but essentially it's all about relationships because uh, cybersecurity is, is a challenge that no one organisation or, or no one company can, can face alone. And so my team is responsible for building all those relationships between the National Cybersecurity Centre and academia, industry, our government partners, uh, uh, businesses, other units like the Garda Síochána, uh, and then, of course, internationally, because cybercrime and cyber threats are global. Uh, so the international element is key as well. How much learning on the job goes on? Because this is something that is ever evolving and there's new technologies and new threats pretty much every day of the week. How much of it is, you know, engaging with those who might have information that's beneficial to us and so on? It's, it's key. Uh, you know, you can't really work in cybersecurity unless you have an interest in, in lifelong learning and you need to be someone that's curious and always willing to investigate and, 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 and increase your skill set. And that training can be formally through education in universities. And, you know, there's great programs here in Ireland. I'll give a plug for cyber skills, uh, an initiative between a number of universities in the country to, to upskill people in cybersecurity. But it can be very, very informal. And as you said, on the job. And, and that's where the vast majority of it comes in, speaking with your colleagues within your own organisation but then key working with other organizations traveling abroad going to conferences because even though we work in cybersecurity and in you know a, the digital environment really meeting up in person and, and understanding how other countries and other organizations are approaching these threats is, is critical you mentioned other organizations um I'm sure everybody could list three or four famous uh, bodies that investigate all kinds of crime, but particularly cybercrime around the world. How frequent is Ireland's engagement with international bodies and how important is it in terms of informing us and us informing them about the reality of what's going on? 
it's it's constant and and you know that's not a cliche we're, we're in constant communications we have various different communication channels uh, uh, open with our European partners there's networks where we're sharing threat intelligence where we're sharing the latest trends in cybersecurity and and real uh, life incidents about how each member state is dealing with various different threats like ransomware etc so it, there's a real effort in Europe to make sure that the architecture uh, acts as one and, and we have various networks as I said like the CERT network which is the network of incident response teams the cyclone network which is is about all the various cyber crisis agencies working together and preparing for for the inevitable so you know it's a day-to-day ongoing uh, engagement Mm. one of the examples that we've cited a million and one times today is the hsc ransomware attack um because it's cyber security month i think everybody's going to be hearing a lot more about that example and lessons that were learned and so on what was it like working on the response team to something on that scale it was intense. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of long hours. Uh, and, I, and I should say that the, the National Cybersecurity Centre, while we were, were key to the response, the, it, the response was national. There was private sector. There was the, the key responders were the HSE themselves. It was a really whole of government, whole of, of country approach. Uh, but it was intense, you know. Uh, my my role was was more on the the policy and strategic side, so making sure ministers were up to date with the late, the latest information. You know that key role of translating, talking to the tech teams, being on all of the bridge calls where they're working through the technical issues, and then distilling that into something that a lay person can understand and explaining what was happening, what we were doing about it, what the timeline was, as well as advising on various different aspects of the response. Mm. How important is it to ensure that? the lay people uh, understand what's going on because there's this notion or there was this notion that you know police work and investigative work happens in the shadows and we only get told things when we need to know so how important is it that the communication to the public is clear on something like this it's absolutely key um, and you know that doesn't mean that people need to know all of the technical details of a cyber attack you know they might need to know what in- encryption standard was used in in the process but what they do need to know is how is this going to affect me what do I need to do to protect myself and and, and one of the key messages in, in, in explaining things clearly to the public is about how they can protect themselves uh, from cyber attacks because there's often this impression that it's a purely technical challenge and that you know it's up to IT people to put in firewalls or whatever else but a huge amount of the work is is in the users being aware you know uh, in having an understanding of what measures they should use to protect themselves from cyber attacks and there's simple things that people can do uh, you know if we're protecting your accounts, you should always have multi-factor authentication. That sounds like a, a scary technical term, but that's basically when you log into your Twitter or Facebook, you should be getting a text message or some kind of second factor, maybe a, a code that you have to input that proves that it's you. That will go a huge way to protecting your accounts. You need to be very aware of threats like phishing. You know, phishing is where you're trying to be tricked into clicking on a link or attachment. And uh, by just having that, you know, it's, it's a cliche to say it, but think before you click, especially if you get an email or a text message that elicits an emotion, whether it's anger, whether it's fear, you think your bank account is compromised, stop, take a moment, take a breath, and then think about it. Because what they rely on in phishing is playing on our emotions, making us scared, making us angry, making us curious, something that you really want to click on, you know, I'm really curious about what's in this document, but just stop, take a moment. And if you're not sure, ask someone, because a second set of eyes will go a long way into determining, is this a scam or not? 
Joseph Stevens is the head of engagement at the NCSC and there he had some excellent advice and I suppose reinforcing the basics that are best when it comes to cyber threats. Think before you click. If in doubt, just delete it. One of Joe's colleagues at the NCSC is named Matthew and he works on the operation side of the organisation. He told me a bit more about the types of threat actors that carry out cyber attacks. I mean, there's a, there's a myriad of different sort of threat actors out there. There's one recent um, document I saw listed about 185 different groups and that kind of doesn't include kind of unattributed clusters of cyber activity. Um, each of these groups will have different missions, they'll have different motivations, um, different targets. So it's important in the NCSC we have a good overview of them and the types of verticals that these adversaries kind of are interested in. Um, these will include like, they might include governments or telecoms, healthcare, um, financial services, aviation. It could be it could be none at all. They could be simply opportunistic and they'll, um, they'll take what they can get. Uh, whatever low-hanging fruit is on offer, offer they're kind of compendious in what they target, be that kind of individuals or organisations or kind of if they're looking for specific devices or specific information. Um, so our role kind of in the, I work in the Computer Security Instance Response Team um, or the CERT within the NCSC and it's important that we kind of have a key understanding of these groups and their associated affiliate groups, the groups that kind of work together with them. Um, that goes from right from initial access brokers who might gain access to a network to ransomware operators and beyond, like all the different types of threat actors that we'd see. Mm. One thing that we know about these groups is that they're quite good at covering their tracks. So how do you gain insight into these groups? Like, is it like catching smoke or is it possible to get information about who is behind what type of attack? Yeah, I mean, it's an ongoing sort of struggle that we have. And it's kind of just two ways, really. Um, firstly, through our own kind of gained experience, when we're involved in instant response engagements and we look for the types of tactics, the techniques and the procedures that known adversary groups will use. And we try and learn from these and we'll add these to kind of um, advert threat actor adversary playbooks. Um, and then kind of the other way then is through various information sharing um, groups that we are part of um, in the NCSE. Um, it's kind of three separate kind of categories of, of kind of different channels um, here really. First, we, we work closely with kind of multiple cyber threat um, intelligence providers and different agencies um, in order to gain ISA, uh, insight into the actions of these groups. Um, we, we've, over the years, we've delicately kind of curated those, these close working relationships um, major cyber threat intelligence providers and 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 other people. Um, luckily, many of them are present in Ireland, which makes it easier to kind of manage these relationships. And we do that kind of in a very meticulous manner. We want to ensure that when we when we reach out, we reach out to the right people um, when we need to. Say in the in the midst of kind of major incidents, that we're safe in the knowledge that we're getting the right people, we're getting the right information, and uh, and and our our interaction with them is done in the right is done in a, in, a, in the right manner with trusted people. Um, lo locally then, we have a very close working relationship with our colleagues in Angarshia Kona and also in the Defence Forces um, and we regularly share relevant information. This gives us a much better insight into the kind of things that are happening um, within Ireland. Um, and then the other way then, in, in recent years Ireland has built up a really good, a really close um, information security community and we try and engage with various experts and interest groups, the likes of kind of Cyber Ireland um, on a regular basis there. You mentioned cyber threat intelligence. What exactly is that? 
Okay, so cyber threat intelligence is data, it's collated, it's processed, and it's analyzed, and it helps us understand um, a threat actors, their motives, their targets, and the kind of attack behaviors that they'd use. Um, it, it, threat intelligence, cyber threat intelligence enables us then to make faster, more informed, data-backed, scientifically-backed kind of security decisions and helps us to, to change behavior sort of from reactive um, then to proactive in the fight against threat actors. So we can see initial actions that, that particular threat actors will generally take. We, can, we, we take more of an interest in, in that sort of area. Um, so from the NCSE's point of view, we ingest large amount of cyber threat intelligence uh, from multiple sources of um, intelligence providers um, so what do we do with these big large data sets as you can imagine they're just full of full of um, uh, incidents and events and things like that so what we do is we analyze them we'll categorize them we'll deduplicate them and then we'll inform on what we've seen to ISPs within Ireland. Um, so in the last year we've sent thousands of notifications to ISPs in Ireland um, on things such as like exposed vulnerable services or um, say botnet activity on that's happening uh, on their IP address space, um, detection of malware, phishing sites, all that sort of stuff. So we also so aside from that, uh, we also kind of operationalize the cyber threat intelligence that we that we hold as well um, to try and make government departments and some agencies safer as well. So we have a, a network of, um, of of sensors that sees uh, limited traffic across um, certain government departments. And so we can we can apply our threat intelligence to that, and then we'll we. Uh, Aside from that, then we also share kind of uh, with critical national infrastructure um, organisations um, through what we call malware information sharing platforms or MISPs. Um, that's kind of what we do in, in a general kind of over um, ev- everyday sort of stuff. Then kind of in, in the more kind of in more intimate manner, we'll share threat intelligence with our and we we will get threat intelligence and details from international partners. We have um, this is done through like a number of different forums. It's done through the the EU C-Certs network. Um, it's done through the first network, which is the f- a form of global um, incident response teams. Um, then we'll have multiple bilateral uh, relationships, which have been built up over the years with with CISA in the US and with um, the NCSE in the UK and multiple other organisations. So it's more than just Ireland alone um, tackling these types of threats. What is it like being part of a team that's responding to a serious, high-profile, you know, high-stakes cyber incident? Yeah, qu- quite often it's it, it can be, it can be quite a strange uh, experience. Sometimes, regularly, kind of it's us that's contacting organisations to tell them that we have detected or one of our intelligence providers has has seen. Uh, traffic coming from a particular bad network that they're monitoring to them and quite often what we're doing is we're trying to convince organizations that we are who we say we are and what our motives are and things like that but generally those sort of in those sort of cases it's a pre- it, it, it's appreciated though that, uh, that especially when the interventions we make are preventing more serious incidents that might occur down the road um, other times, as 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 you said, um, we're receiving a frantic phone call or an email from a victim organisation that they're they're having their worst day. Like you know, this is this is a doomsday scenario quite often for them, for their organisation, for their business. Um, so in these instances, we try and remain calm. We try and establish the facts and offer them a path to remediation if we can. Um, our role kind of 
in a serious cyber attack is it's multifaceted. Um, primarily, what we're there we're there to help the victim organisation. They're the priority um, first and foremost. And if it's required or if it's necessary, we'll advise um, sort of the constituent organisations that we deal with and with the wider public uh, as to what what was happening, how that incident or that risk could affect them what they should do um, if it did happen to them, who they should contact and how they should react. Um, that's what we try and do um, during those sort of attacks. So, But, I mean, we're always learning, we're always changing. Um, if these IR incidents that we investigate, it's an iterative pro- process and we're always trying to trying to hone our responsibility, our, our response capabilities and to and to exercise then what, what we've learned. Mm. Um, one of the things that we heard earlier in the show is that you know, Ireland plays home to a whole host of cybersecurity companies. We have cybersecurity experts. We often have Rona Murphy from Smart Tech 247 here on Tech Talk. What is it like working inside the National Cybersecurity Centre versus one of those other organisations that exist in the country? Yeah, so I work in the operations team within the NCSC. So it's I think it's it's like no other job. Our kind of our goal, our mission. It's it's uh, not to sound overly noble or anything like that, but it's to protect Irish organisations and to protect citizens and and to try and help make the Irish IP address base one of the most trusted in the world, which it is. Trying to ma- maintain that is very important. Um, so how do we do that? I mean, there there, there is there's no silver bullet. There's no magic magic product out there that. That, that will do it for you. Um, what we're doing, we're helping organisations to make small iterative improvements in how they operate. Um, we're totally kind of vendor agnostic and that sort of thing. Like you know, um, so what we're doing, we're we're encouraging um, organisations and the general public to adopt services that will help to secure the things that make this country run. Um, simple improvements like implementing multi-factor authentication teaching people how to identify phishing and smishing attempts, that sort of stuff. But I think it's more and more it's become obvious that doing nothing is not an o- is no longer an option. I mean, inertia is sort of the enemy of incident response. Um, so our motivation, it's simply just to try and improve um, cyber security of our Irish organisations mm-hmm. and if they get in trouble to, to help them out. Um, I suppose we work within the within the CSIRT community um, and globally the CSIRT community uh, it's an astounding place. People are people there. They're they're happy to share their work, their hard work. They they'll teach and they learn and and they kind of they never rest on the laurels, which is really it's it's really interesting to see. And we try and we we try and uh, uh, contribute to that to that community also. Um, I mean, the important thing for us is none of us know everything. None of us um, can ever stop learning, and that's something I embrace, especially within the within the NCSE. Like our adversaries. Um, the, the threat actors that we see out there, they're continually changing the game. And in cybersecurity, we simply, we can't stop. So it's kind of, um, it's in equal parts when you, if, if, if you stop to think about it, it's kind of equal parts kind of terrifying, but also it's, it's invigorating and it's an exciting place to work. Yeah, it seems like very rewarding work, but as you said, it is quite overwhelming when you think of the scale of the threat as it stands at 2022. And as our reliance on technology grows and as tech develops, that's only going to increase. So if somebody, you know, maybe they're filling out their, they're thinking about their CAO form or they're looking for their career option. Is this, an, is this an exciting field to be in? And what advice would you give to somebody contemplating getting into the cybersecurity field? Oh, it really is. It's so exciting. Like there's always something new happening. Um, I suppose the important thing to think of cyber, cybersecurity is not, 
it's not all hoodies and hackers it's 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 people from all kind of walks of life it's and all types of backgrounds if you have an interest in in international relations or in psychology in mathematics and computer science i mean the list goes on and on um there's so many pivots from those areas in, into cyber um but I, what I would say is there, there, there's no shortcuts. Mm-hmm. I think you have to be patient. You're not going to jump straight in and be a cybersecurity expert. Um, it's very important to, to learn the basics well. If you can, serve your time working kind of on a computer network or as a developer or a system administrator, and then pivot into cyber. Really, it'll stand to you in the long run if you go about that way. But I think, above all, the most important skill anybody working cybersecurity can have is to be an effective communicator. Um, we sometimes like we're guilty but we, we get lost in the ones and the zeros quite often um, and we get we kind of go down rabbit holes if we're doing digital forensics or if we're doing malware analysis and I think it's important that we train ourselves and our people um, to learn to translate this information effectively to the right audience. That was Matthew from the National Cyber Security Centre. I also spoke to Detective Sergeant Bridget Buckley who is a liaison officer between the Garda National Cybercrime Bureau and the NCSC. I started by asking her how long she's been a member of Angarda Siakana. Um, I've been a member now for, I'm here 20 years, and I suppose my background is uh, before I joined the Guards, uh, I studied a degree in computer science through University College Cork. I got the opportunity to work as an application developer in a corporate IT environment, and that stood to me, it gave me a wider perspective on a corporate environment um, and the challenges there starting in the early 2000s. After that, I got the opportunity to apply for the Guards and I studied for a degree in through UCD um, and that was in computer forensics and cybercrime investigation. So it was always my vision to use my core degree in tackling cybercrime. So I was fortunate that uh, I got uh, appointed to the former computer crime investigation unit, which back in the early 2000s was under the fraud Bureau because economic crime and cyber crime are, are quite linked um, and uh, in 2017 it was formulated as a bureau in its own outright. Um, so off and on over 15 years I've been working within the remit of cyber crime. What kind of cyber crimes and online frauds and such have you worked on in the time that you've been a member of Angarishi Akana? Yeah it's been vast um, so varied, I suppose, uh, from the onset of when mobile phones didn't even fit in our pocket with the, the big Motorola's and the size of the aerials. Um, technology has changed so much from, from those big bricks, as they were called, to you know having such smart technology in a small device now, mm-hmm. foldable screens, etc. Um, the crimes I've been involved in have varied from, I remember my first investigation actually was in relation to the hacking of an email account and uh, it was a Gmail account and the victim uh, knew that somebody else was accessing her emails and she kept having to reset her password at the time and uh, this was long before there was multi-factor authentication and uh, you know if somebody I knew somebody close to her was or somebody who knew information about her was involved because they kept answering the security questions Um, and that investigation led to uh, a trace of the activity on her account back to her locality and it turned out to be in in that particular case a disgruntled boyfriend but it really you know it just opened my eyes to I suppose the possibilities out there that could have been any threat actor Um, 
sometimes it's so close to you, sometimes it's insider. Um, I've been involved in investigations where um, there is, a, I suppose, the luring. We're, we're, we're talking about European Cyber Crime Month here in terms of phishing and that, and the luring for financial gain and trying to build up that trust relationship, be it a romance fraud or, or a phishing attempt and, and asking somebody for money and then building up that trust relationship and there's their cyber uh, threat actors are so sophisticated and so patient mm. that they build up that profile or picture they have their reconnaissance done beforehand they know who they're talking to um, and it's because that trust is there they monetize on that uh, the gain of it so um, the from malware investigations um, to ransomware um, all sorts uh, it's, it's very interesting and very very broad it's funny, the, or not funny, but it's interesting the notion of, you know, those uh, phishing attempts, the romance frauds and all the rest, because I'm sure everyone's seen documentaries on Netflix or YouTube about this type of thing, and people don't really believe or assume that it's happening here in Ireland, but clearly it is happening here. Yes, from the reports uh, that we get in, in Ungarda Chicana and the Garda National Cybercrime Bureau, it's definitely happening. People are falling victim, and that's what makes these awareness campaigns so, so important. Mm. Um, and you know the targets can be vulnerable victims elderly people somebody that's new to using technology in the last recent number of years because that's how they're communicating with their their family and their loved ones and that's you know cyber criminals will always use the technology use it to for their bad Mm -hmm. acts as such so where there's technology used for good it's also there for, for for nefarious purposes unfortunately how you know a lot of these um cyber criminals are very sophisticated they're very intelligent they're always using new tools but from the little that i know it seems like they still rely on human error and exploiting you know whether it is a romance fraud somebody who wants a partner or if it's an elderly person someone who's trying to use technology to engage with their family or someone who's super busy and doesn't proof an attachment before they click on it how vital is the human error part in the in the wider chain of cybercrime, uh, yeah, that's a very good question. There, there is always that human factor. I suppose uh, the way that the cybersecurity framework looks at uh, security, it's people, technology, and processes, and it's raising that awareness to the people through be a training in your corporate uh, environment. Um, but that training now has to expand onto your home environment so whatever technologies you're using if it's a hybrid approach you need to be using the same in your your home environment vpns etc but the human element the threat actor will always try and do that and it's building up the trust and that human element could be just get you just to be distracted or click on something that you wouldn't normally uh, click on be it an attachment or a link um or just to do some action but that trust is is needed and that that's where what they're good at is building up that that, that relationship and uh, phishing can lead to other things like uh, the ransomware attack, malware be, being being reported. So I suppose the biggest thing is a no, your policies in place, a no blame policy, so that you get people to report, be it in your corporate environment, or, or get people so that they know exactly how they're to report, who they report to, and they're not afraid to report. Um, and then actions can take place from there. And that's a huge part of this because 
like if we just stick with the individual for a second, very often the nature of these attacks can be quite embarrassing. Someone could be, you know, kicking themselves. They clicked on a link or they responded to a message or they put in their code, even though they know they shouldn't, but they were just rushing out the door. Or maybe there's intimate images uh, involved or you know, there's a myriad of reasons why people might be embarrassed and not want to go to the guards. Yeah. And I've heard people who don't go to the guards because they just think there'll either be judgment, there'll be ridicule, there'll be repercussions that won't be good for them. Has the attitude of the bodies that deal with these crimes evolved over time so that there is no shame and no negative repercussion for the person reporting a crime? Yeah, I suppose first and foremost, uh, the most important thing to say here is from Ungarda Shikana's perspective is that we treat uh, anybody subject to a cyber attack as a victim of crime. That's the most important thing and we have seen people being victims across a broad spectrum so there's no need to be ashamed or embarrassed if you've big fallen foul or fallen victim to anything Um, we've seen it we've investigated and we're here to help and to support Um, and then being in my liaison role with the National Cyber Security Centre we're very much uh, a collaboration effort and there are synergies between the two sections so if you're a corporate entity um, the NCSC has very good uh, resources on their website ncsc.gov.ie and the Garda National Cybercrime equally Garda.ie forward slash cybercrime there's so many valuable resources there that will reassure people so Mm -hmm. if, if they're not sure where to go but if it's criminal investigation report to your local Garda station um, and then if you're looking for advices tips advisory the NCSE website is very useful and you mentioned those two bodies uh, you are starting a new role as a liaison between both of those bodies what does that entail yes I am uh, it's very uh, interesting um, I suppose we've always liaised uh, with between the two agencies and in the national cyber security strategy it's part in built into that um, it's very it's collaborative approach number one I suppose we can feed into each other's efforts investigation wise trends threats um, and we can also uh, feed into the whole um, prevention efforts Uh, that's very very important to the public it's very important to the corporate entities um, that we know what's going on and we know the that somebody else is advised and and perhaps prevented most importantly from falling victim of a particular type of cybercrime attack Mm. and then thirdly we can also feed into when people report to us we know what you know the level of of these incidents are because there has been a trend of unreporting unfortunately but knowing that feeds into our capacity building with both agencies in terms of resourcing training efforts and needs and um, both agencies have fantastic expertise and people working there in terms of investigations forensics incident response Um, so it's a collaborative effort and we can also leverage of course our law enforcement partners in Europe and uh, internationally and that has been seen in the the likes of the HSE and and big global like cybercrime is borderless Mm -hmm. so we need to be borderless in order to police it. Detective Sergeant Bridget Buckley speaking to me at the National Emergency Coordination Centre as part of EU Cybersecurity Month. And that's it for this two-part cybersecurity special. A huge thank you to the entire team who spent time with me last week. I've been saying it for ages, but cybersecurity really does matter. Take care when you're online, enable two-factor authentication, and report it if you've been targeted. 